One typical story I've heard from missionaries who travel to Africa or Asia is their amazement at the joy people, especially children, display despite living in a deplorable condition. Some families live in a room without proper flooring or electricity or water or a toilet, but when you see the smile on their faces, you cannot identify their misery. I hear missionaries talk about stories of joy and how people are fulfilled. You can see people happy in some countries out there. If you give a lolly to a boy in a remote village in Congo, he will celebrate with joy the whole day. But if you buy a PS5 for a boy in Australia, he may forget even to say thank you until you pay for extra games for it. You can see that contrasts of inner satisfaction. What makes a person is more of what is happening inside them than what is happening to them. What makes you is more of what is happening in you than what is happening to you. Maybe you've heard of that before. The purpose of this message series is not to minimize what happens to us, but to help us keep things in the proper perspective to live the life God designed for us. I'm not here to tell you that your situation is not as bad as you think it is, or it's not painful. I'm here to tell you, maybe if you look at it the way God looks at it, things will change. So I'm not minimizing your problem. I just want you to give it the proper perspective. So if you don't look at your life the way God looks at it, you are not living the life God designed for you. Today we will take a close look at the maintenance of the heart. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your spirit, soul and body be kept sound and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your spirit, your soul and body. Paul describes a person in three entities. A body made of muscles, nerves, blood, bones, and skin. A soul, the home of our emotions, choices, thoughts, and consciousness. And the heart, also called spirit, the residence of our conscience, intuition, and communion. The conscience is the human ability to sense right and wrong. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 16 says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws on their heart. God will put his law on your heart even before Noah, before the Bible, before the law was given, people still had conscience. How do you think Noah knew what was wrong and wrong, right or wrong? He did not have the Torah. Noah did not have the Bible. How did he know right and wrong? Because the law was written on his heart. God has put conscience in us to know wrong or right. Intuition is the ability to understand something instinctively without the need for conscious reasoning. 
You just know. You just know something may happen. You just feel it. They say that uh, mothers or women have a higher level of, of intuition. They feel things. They can just tell you, I don't have peace with this situation or that person. They just feel it. Where is it coming from? It's not a thought. It's not a thought. It's in the spirit. Intuition tells you what's happening without you, before you see it. Some people call it the sixth sense. It's a spiritual ability to sense things that are happening around us. And most spiritual gifts operate from your intuition. Discernment, for example, is the ability to know the kind of spiritual activities around you instinctively. You know this is God or this is demonic. You just feel it. You sense it. Prophecy is the ability to sense in your spirit and hear voice, the voice of God and see images and, 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 and sense instinctively what is happening in the world around you in the future or, or in the past. It's, it's the ability for your spirit to grasp, to catch an information that you couldn't learn in school or, or anywhere else. That is your intuition. Some people just call it a gut feeling. I don't know if your guts have feelings, but they call it gut feeling. One spirit can sense what is happening without conscious reasoning, without learning, without reading. You just know. And then when you ask someone, how did you know? They will just tell you, I just know. You ask a mother, how did you know your child was sick? I just knew. Before I took her or him to the hospital, I just knew. I could just sense it. That is intuition. It's a spiritual capacity. It's not happening in your mind. It's not happening in your body. It's happening in your spirit. You just know. You just sense it. And communion is the ability of your spirit to connect with God and other spirit beings. You can be in a room and you feel something is wrong here. Your spirit can connect with other spirit and feel like these are the right people to be around. These are the wrong people to be around. Why? Communion. Your heart can commune with people or reject people. It's communion. We know that humans are social beings. But we are not only social beings. We are first and foremost spiritual beings. We can connect with God. We can connect with the spiritual world. Look at the Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. I know a man in Christ who was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. What does it mean? That person spiritually went to the third heaven. What does it even mean? If it was in the body or not, it means we have two bodies. We have the spiritual body, who you really are. And the physical body that you have as a temporal gift to live on earth. This is the physical body you can see. Your spirit is who you are. Paul is not talking about physical death when he wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 5. Let's read this. But God, being rich in mercy because of great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Become alive. What does it mean? Even before you become a Christian, you were alive, weren't you? So what does it mean you became alive? It means before you became a Christian, your body was alive, but your spirit was dead. Your spirit could not commune with God 
When you invite Jesus in your heart, the spirit of God comes to revive your spirit. Your spirit becomes alive because the spirit of God is life. And when you receive Jesus in you, your spirit becomes alive. Not your body, not even your mind, because your mind is alive from the time you were born. You can think, you can understand, you can feel. We are talking about the spirit. When you receive Jesus, you become alive. Your spirit communes with God. So salvation happens in second. When you believe in Jesus, you say, Jesus, I invite you in my heart. When you say, Jesus, I invite you in my heart, you become alive in second. And please listen to this. You don't become alive progressively. You become alive in a second. The day, the time, the second you accept Jesus Christ in your life, you became alive. But maintaining your salvation is a lifetime process. To receive it is an event. To maintain it is a process. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 says, So then, my dear friend, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now more, even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. That means the day you received it, it was just a gift. But now you are about to work out, it becomes a discipline. It's no longer a gift. It becomes a discipline. You work on it. You make it happen. Salvation is free. Being saved is free. Everything else after that is costly. Christian life is costly. Maintaining your heart is costly. It's not just about the money, please. No, it's not about the money. It's costly. You have to do something. You have to discipline yourself to making happen. Just as renewing your mind means maintaining your mind, working out your salvation is the maintenance of your heart. Because when you receive Jesus, you change your state, you become alive. But now staying on earth, you need to maintain that life. You need to stay healthy spiritually. Maintaining your heart does not save you, but it keeps you saved. Salvation is a gift, but maintenance is a choice. Salvation is an event, but its maintenance is a process. Salvation is free, but its maintenance is costly. There are tools available in the Bible to help you maintain your salvation. And I've picked only 10 primary tools 10 disciplines that helped me keep my spirit strong. I will share them with you, church. Find a way to stay healthy spiritually. I've realized that the size of your heart is the size of your life. And I'm not talking about your physical heart. You can have a big or small that up to the doctor to tell you what will happen next. I'm talking about the size of your spirit. The strength of your spirit is the strength of your life. And I will tell you in life, you need strength spiritually. Ten disciplines to keep your spirit strong. We are not only emotional beings. We are not only mental beings. We are not only physical beings. We are spiritual beings. So how to keep your conscience, your intuition, and your communion strong? First one, I practice holiness. The word holy refers to God and what belongs to God. 
Most people think that holiness demands us to forsake things that make us enjoy life. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying you should live this kind of life that you don't, you don't go on holidays, you don't watch movies anymore, you don't share a drink with your friend. No, 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 no. Nothing could be further from the truth. Holiness is the state of belonging to God and the process of maintaining that state. Let me clarify. Holiness is both a gift and a choice. Holy people are the most fulfilled people. We become holy through Christ. When you invite Jesus in your life, when you start to walk with Jesus, the day you make that decision, you are holy. What does it mean? You are set apart. You belong to God. That is the definition of holiness. That's all. It doesn't mean you don't sin anymore. It doesn't mean you don't make mistakes anymore. The time you are set apart, you are holy. My religious friends, before you judge me, listen until I finish. Because I said even if you sin, you are holy. So I know some religious friends are saying, don't deceive your church. No, no, I'm not deceiving the church. I'm telling the truth. When you are set apart, you belong to God, you are holy. We become holy through faith because we belong to God. Understanding that you have been set apart changes your perspective on life. The reason why most Christians continue to sin is because they've not yet understood they've been set apart. Their mindset is still locked into the past and they think they have to earn holiness. We have been made holy. Now we change our behavior to match who we are. We don't walk slowly to earn holiness. We walk in righteousness because we are already holy. God has set us apart so we match, we link who we are to what we do. 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16 says, But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. It is written, Be holy because I'm holy. The discipline of holiness is the alignment of your decisions to your state of holiness. Your state of holiness is who you become. When you receive Jesus, you become holy. You are set apart for God. Now the alignment of your thoughts and your conduct and your behavior to who you are is what we call walking in holiness. That's what Peter is asking us to do. If I know I am a pastor, I have to behave like a pastor. If I don't behave like a pastor, there is conflict between who I am and what I do. If I know I'm a child of a king, I have to behave like a child of a king. If I don't behave like a child of a king, I'm putting the whole kingdom in jeopardy because they can kidnap me. I have to walk as a child of a king because I know if my life is in danger, the whole kingdom will be disturbed. Some Christians are children of God. They don't know that they've been set apart. And they, can walk, they keep walking in life as if they are not children of God. They go places they shouldn't have gone. They do things they shouldn't have done. They say things they shouldn't have said. They, they touch things. They watch things they shouldn't have watched. And they say, oh, why me, God? Why me? You've been set apart. Live apart. Holiness is a state and a mindset that translates into a lifestyle that reflects God. Do you reflect God in your language? Do you reflect God in your behavior? Do you reflect God? You've been set apart. There's no argument there. That's why the Bible uses this language, righteousness. 
and holiness. And I will use that just to help you understand. Righteousness is the gift. Holiness is the discipline. Maybe that will make it easy. We will go to heaven because we are righteous. It's a gift. We maintain our communion with God through our holiness. When you sin, you don't lose your place as a child of God. You lose your communion, your fellowship with God. So our eyes is not just, oh, one day we'll go to heaven. Or how about here? How about now? How about the peace, the joy, the love that communion with God provides? Righteousness is a state. Holiness is a discipline. Would you commit to the discipline of aligning your state to your conduct? Your state with your behavior. Second thing, prayer is a discipline. Philippians chapter 4, 6 to 7. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Prayer guards your heart and mind. The enemy knows that your heart is who you are. He attacks your car to get to your heart. He attacks your house to get to your heart. Your heart. The enemy doesn't need a bedroom to sleep in. Satan doesn't need a car to travel. He doesn't need your car. He will attack your car to get to you. He will attack your house to get to you. He will attack your relationships to get to your heart. He needs access to the heart. That's what he's after. He will attack your money to get to your, to your heart. So prayer is the best defense system we have been given. Prayer guards our hearts. As mentioned previously, I preached on essential work. Why we pray. We said prayer changes us, changes things, and changes everything. There is no way you can pray without changing. Prayer changes you. It changes things around you, and it changes everything about you. The peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your heart when you pray. You want to live secure, at peace, and joy? Pray every day. Three, Bible engagement. Joshua 1.8. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. There is a correlation between success as God sees it and the meditation of the word of God. When you meditate the word of God, you will succeed in the way God sees success. Matthew 4, 4 says, but he answered, it is written, men must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Bible is the food that keeps your spirit alive. It, when you deprive yourself of the word of God, you begin to die spiritually. Read the Bible. Listen to the Bible. Study the Bible under a Bible teacher and by yourself. Maintain your spirit by feeding yourself with the word of God. How hungry are you to know the Bible? To know what the Bible says about you? about your business, about your work, about your health. What does the Bible say about it? Do you know what the Bible says about your relationships? Engage with the Bible. Four, gatherings. Hebrew chapter 10, 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together. I'm giving you tools to keep your spirit strong 
Some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The purpose of gathering is to care for and be cared for. To come here to church, come here to church on Sunday, come to Connect Group. The purpose of meeting like this is to care for each other and to be cared for. Attending church services, Connect Group, church gathering is for your spirit to be cared for. And you to care for other people. One would wonder, how can my presence help someone if I'm not the one teaching? Does my presence make any difference? Yes, your presence makes a big difference. The purpose of gathering is encouraging one another. Your smile is an encouragement to someone. Yes, when you come to church... And you smile to someone. It's an encouragement. Your presence, that's to know. Like, imagine if we were only 10 in this room, how it could have felt if we were only 10 in this room. Like three people there, three here, and four there. It could have felt empty, isn't it? Not encouraging. This room feels warm, feels encouraging because you are here. Because you came. When you stay home, you are depriving someone of something. Don't stay home. Attend church gatherings. It's not just for you to be cared for. It's for you to care for someone. Your presence means something to others. Just your presence. I have so many excuses to miss Connect Group. Can you make a decision not to miss gatherings? For you and for others. When you raise your hands in worship, you are inspiring someone. When you are singing, you are inspiring someone. When you are clapping your hands, you are inspiring someone. Everything you do, your presence at church inspires someone. You may not know, but I'm telling you, don't think you don't matter. You matter so much. Why are you on Instagram? Because everybody's there. Why are you on TikTok? Because that's where the world is. That's where life is. If you're not on TikTok, you're missing out, parent. People go where everybody goes. If we go to church, we'll influence the culture. When Christians don't take seriously their own gatherings, they want people out of the church to take it seriously. How? You don't take it seriously yourself. You call yourself a Christian, you attend church once a month. And you want your neighbor to come to church. Five. (laughs) Serving. Serving. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Serving is when you are not the primary beneficiary of the task. If you are not doing it for you, you are serving. Serving maintains our spirit. It keeps it against selfishness when we serve. We discipline our spirit to care for others. In the kingdom of God, the greatest of all is the servant of all. The greatest of all is the servant of all. We all have something and nobody has everything. I have something. You have something. When we bring them together, we become unstoppable. We have engineers here. 
We have carpenters here. We have builders here. We have public speakers here. We have designers here. We have singers here. We have farmers here. We have teachers here. We have all of that. We put it together to advance the kingdom of God. That's why the church is unstoppable. Why are you keeping your skills behind? You can fix something. You can do something. Come and serve God. Let's advance the kingdom of God. You have something. Nobody's useless in the church. Everybody can do something. Everybody has something. Nobody has everything. It will be pride and arrogant if someone would think they can run everything themselves. I can't. I just can't. Everybody brings something. You know, some people are good with cables and technology. Let them do it. Don't try to put your finger there. Six, giving. Second Corinthians chapter 9, 6 to 8. Remember, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. I was reading this and my wife, uh, I was reading sparingly. And my wife said, it's not sparingly, it's sparingly. I said, this is the school I went through. I went to, they said sparingly. So it just depends on the school you went to. So spa sparingly, sparingly. You see, you went to a different school. You must have gone to a public school. I went to a private, royal school. Royal school, sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart. No force, no by force. Not reluctantly, no, no, don't hesitate. Or out of necessity because you are pushed to do it, you feel like you have to do it. For God loves a cheerful giver. You are giving because you enjoy doing it. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you. I'm amazed that every time the Bible talks about giving, there is a blessing coming. There is a blessing that's attached to giving. So that in every way, always having everything you need, God is promising if you give cheerfully, you will receive everything you need. You may excel in every good work. I'm not a prosperity preacher. But I know that there are blessings when we give. I'm not saying we should buy God's favor. You give him thousands, he gives you ten. No, 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 I'm not saying that. I just know when I give, I'm blessed. I don't know how he blesses me in different ways, but I know when we give, we are blessed. You know what? We cannot all give equally, but we can all sacrifice equally. We can all sacrifice equally. When Doug gives 20,000, he doesn't feel it. But for me, when I give 200, I cry for two days. But we sacrifice equally, isn't it, Doug? We sacrifice equally. Eh, good. <laughs> we can all sacrifice the same. You know, giving tests your heart. God is after your heart. He's not after your money. No, God is not after your money. If you don't give to God, it's not because you don't have something. It's because you, that relationship is still, you know, you, you are not yet connected. You still have excuses because yeah God did not ask Abraham to give his son because he wanted to eat Isaac God did not need the meat God did not want that he wanted the heart of Abraham to be separated from the treasure which was Isaac when God asks you to give it's not because he wants your money he can do everything without you and he's been doing it without you he has been doing it for years. He will continue to do it without you. But he asks you to give because he wants your heart to be in alignment with him. If you want to care for your heart, to maintain your heart, learn to give. Give sacrificially. 
7, sharing my faith. 1 Peter 3, 15 to 16. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this with a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. This is holiness I was talking about. We preach in two ways. We preach by sharing our faith and by displaying character, living in holiness. When they see us, they see we represent Christ. And when we speak to them, we share our faith. To share your faith, invite someone to church. Simple. Inv inviting is free. Let people say no. Don't be afraid of being rejected. Just invite someone to church. And God himself will work in their heart. We don't save anyone. God does. So it's not our job to save people. But it's our job to point someone to Jesus. You know what? Sharing your faith is just about a hungry person showing another hungry person where to find bread. Simple. Do the work of an evangelist. Share your faith. Eight, fasting. Mark 9, 28 to 29. I will just read 29. And he told them, this kind come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Fasting is the deprivation of the body and mind to strengthening the spirit. You deprive your body, you deprive your mind so that your spirit can get stronger. God is spirit and those who fast connect adequately with him. The flesh often stands in the way of our spirit. When you submit to the flesh, you empower your flesh. And it's abstract your spirit. But when you subdue the spirit, the, 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 the flesh, you empower your spirit to take over control of your life. And that's where you allow God to work through you. Fast. Learn to fast. God's voice is more evident to you when you fast. Fasting does not force God to act. It moves us closer to God. Then God acts. Uh, does it make sense? Fasting does not force God. It moves us closer to him. And once we are closer to him, he acts. I see the standard fast in the Bible is the deprivation of food. Or a kind of food. Nine. Christian books. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Acts 2.42. God has revealed his wisdom to different people in different ways. Devoting yourself to the apostles' teaching involves reading different Christian wisdom, the books, the revelation from other people. As a leader, I know when I stop reading, I stop leading. So read Christian books. It speaks to you. It speaks to you. Read. Pick one Christian book and read it per term. Finish in three months. When school term starts, start reading that book. By the end of the term, you can do fast read as you can finish a book. I, I gave a book to Michael Harris on Monday. He called me on Friday. He was done. Then I asked, how did you finish it? I was listening to Audible. Ah. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> Finally, worship. James 4, 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
Whatever takes the top priority in your life is what you worship. Worship helps the spirit to refocus on God. Worship is the expression of reverence and adoration to God. So worship is the discipline that helps us to shift our perspective. We shift our hearts to put God first in everything in life. To put God first. Sometimes you play a song, sometimes you read a psalm, sometimes you observe the nature. Do whatever works for you. Make of worship a discipline. When we come to church and we are singing, worship. Worship during that song. Refocus on God and make it a discipline to worship. It heals us to worship God. It heals us. It ministers to you. It, it changes you. When you worship God, when you just focus on God, perspective changes. Even when you are going through trouble and you worship God, things change. Learn the discipline of worship through words, through songs. So say this after me. I am a spirit. I live in a body. I have a soul. Again, I am a spirit. I live in a body. I have a soul. Don't forget this. You are not your body. You are not black. You are not white. You are not Asian. You are not. That's not who you are. You are a spirit. Before everything, you are a spirit. Don't make anything else defines you. You are not just a woman. You are not just a man. You are a spirit. That is the spirit that will go to heaven. That is the spirit that commune with God. That is the spirit that controls your life. And if the devil has control over your spirit, he controls your life. Whoever controls your spirit controls your heart. And when I say control, I'm not saying in a, God will not manipulate you. No, he will guide you if you let him. Spiritual disciplines don't make you a Christian by they help you stay a Christian. Holiness, prayer, Bible engagement, gatherings, serving, giving, sharing my faith, fasting, Christian books, worship are the disciplines I do. I check myself how I'm feeding my spirit. Would you start today?